this is The Freelancers Show and I'm Petra Manos. And today we have a panelist, Brad Large. Hey, everybody. And we have a special guest with us today, Michael Katz. Good to be here. Hey, Michael. So uh, I've been looking at your blog last night and uh, I, I think that you've got a fantastic resource there for professional businesses. Would you mind giving us an understanding of what you do and how you're helping professionals? Yeah. So I am uh, you know, generically a marketing consultant. Um, I specialize in email and newsletters. Uh, I do other things too, but that's kind of my sweet spot. Um, my clients are exclusively professional service providers, financial planners, consultants, coaches, freelance writers. Um, they're all people who what they have in common is from the outside looking in, what they sell is identical to their competition, which fits well with with the whole newsletter thing. Um, and I, at this point, I only work with tiny companies. So the lar- my largest client has maybe 20 people. I, I like to work with a company that um, doesn't yet have anybody with the word marketing in their title because it keeps it simpler if, I, if I'm not essentially competing with someone inside who's unhappy that, that I've been brought in. So I like small companies and, and down to solos too. Probably that makes sense. Solos. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. Actually, I find that really interesting how you said that they're all essentially selling the same type of service. And so they're trying to make them distinctive through the use of a email newsletter. I hadn't really thought of that as a purpose for newsletters, but I guess now that you're saying it, that makes perfect sense. So Yeah, I mean, I think... I think it depends on, 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 I mean, the term newsletter applies to so many things. So people have different definitions from the kind I do, which are just strictly information based to, you know, what, you know, what Target sends out to people, they might call a newsletter. But I think if you're selling something physical, like a pair of sneakers, you don't really care who made them or, you know, what the company's all about. But if you're hiring a financial planner or a recruiter, you can't tell how good they are anyway. Like you don't know how medically capable your own doctor is. And the truth is it doesn't really matter unless, you know, you're getting a heart transplant. Everybody's good. I mean, all the CPAs are CPAs. The attorneys pass the bar. So the problem you have in deciding who to hire is they all look the same. And even after you've hired them, you can't tell. So the distinction in terms of why you like your doctor and I like mine, it's not about their medical capabilities. It's you feel comfortable. You like the way they treat you or their perspective. So it's a very subjective kind of thing. And 
so I'm helping my clients sort of share their knowledge, but also a good amount of their personality in a newsletter. So you can decide, oh, I really like her, or you know, I hate this person, and they stay away. So it's a it's a it's a um, qualitative thing. But I, I've discovered that's how people hire professionals. It's not really based on capability because you can't measure it anyway. That makes so much sense. Uh, I'm thinking that when people are looking to hire a key person into their business, a lot of the time they're doing so because they don't have that skill set already, especially if they're bringing in a freelancer rather than bringing in a, and uh, professionals are, I'm I'm classing them as freelancers, even though they're obviously different, but um, they're bringing in a freelancer because they don't already have that skill in-house. They're not uh, just hiring a person to plug a part of the business that they've already got procedures for. So I'm, I'm thinking that, that that makes complete sense that you're hiring a personality rather than than the, the, the function in some cases because you, they might assume that the function can be um, performed by anybody. So when it comes to setting up the newsletters then, um, is that a strategy that the majority of freelancers or self-employed professionals can use successfully or are there some caveats where it doesn't work? Uh, So I find the majority can. There's some places it doesn't really work. So my whole marketing philosophy is, is, again, for this group of professionals is because we all live in a word of mouth world, it's really how do you stay in touch with the people you already know in a way that positions you as what I like to call a likable expert. So you seem like you know what you're talking about, but also I, I trust you, like you, all that kind of stuff. And so um, my entire marketing approach for my own business, because I, I look like my own clients, is I don't do any outbound anything. I've never spent a cent on advertising. I don't pay any attention to SEO. My entire marketing is about I'm good at staying in touch with the you know 500 people on earth that I know. And most people aren't. You meet people at a conference or even you know your brother-in-law, they still don't understand what you do for a living. And again, what I found is that if you ask anybody like us, where does your business come from? Every single person says referrals or word of mouth. But people treat that like it's luck as opposed to something you can sort of turn the volume up on. So a newsletter kind of ticks all the bases. It keeps coming out over and over again. Most of my clients publish week, uh, monthly. It reveals a little bit about both what you know and who you are, at least in the way I do it. And it's focused on people you already have a connection with, but it keeps you in front of them. So it kind of removes this whole timing thing from the equation. This way, when somebody has a need for whatever you do, you're top of mind. So it's, it's really effective. Um, It doesn't work in all cases. The requirement is you have to have some information that your potential clients want, kind of on an ongoing basis. So, for example, um, I have a client who's a small business attorney. I've been doing her newsletter, I think, 15 years. And um, every month she writes about some little thing that has to do with small business. It might be things you need to know before you sign a non-disclosure agreement or something about a contract. So it's not incredibly in-depth about law because I don't care to that degree. But as a small business owner, it's interesting and useful for me to go, oh, okay, I just learned a little something. And then not next month, a little something else. So as long as you have that connection to your potential clients, because what happens is some people say, well, 
I've been reading this person's newsletter for six months, but now I actually need actual legal help. She becomes the obvious choice. Um, there are some cases where it doesn't work quite so well. I mean, the, the best example where it doesn't work, at least in the, I haven't found, is someone who's a real estate agent. And the problem with that as an example is when I'm looking to buy or sell a house, I have an intense interest in real estate. But once I do that, I have zero interest in it. So it's hard to write something that I'm going to read month after month because I don't really care. And that's the key. Can you create, in effect, a magazine that someone's going to read ongoing so when they need you, they'll call you? And if you can't check that box, the whole thing kind of falls apart. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. And I hadn't thought of that, especially every that single. Case. Yeah, and every single real estate agent out there has a newsletter that they try to get you to sign up for, but... You know, a lot of times it's it's not focused on value that they're providing. The the best email newsletters I've seen real estate agents do were actually ones that had nothing to do with real estate and were all about the communities that they service, right? So they would talk about the farmer's market or they would talk about the events that were happening or the different challenges or what construction was happening, but they would absolutely never talk about uh, real estate, you know, except for maybe a tagline at the bottom. Or, you know, their websites were similar. So I think it's interesting that you bring that up as a challenge because, it, you know, a lot of professional services, they, they do run into issues where uh, I feel like they, they, they're not keeping the interest there. I've, I feel like that's a huge challenge is, is the balancing that, hey, I'm a CPA, but I'm also trying to provide value. I think that's a real challenge, especially yeah. with those types yeah. of regular communication. Yeah, I mean, I think, people are eager to um, close the deal. And so the idea that I'm just going to give you information month after month without asking anything in return, it feels a little counterintuitive. Like, well, when do I get the clients? But again, what I have found, and it was just an, I just sort of stumbled onto this accidentally, frankly, um, is that if you can just be in front of people and if they see you as a useful resource, it's unlikely they're going to call you today. But what happens is, they call you and, you know, when they need you. I mean, I had someone call me a month ago who I'm helping with a newsletter now. This guy was a client 10 years ago. I haven't had a conversation with him in 10 years, but he's been getting my newsletter. And he called up and said, okay, I'm ready for to do a newsletter now. So I was staying in touch with him without trying, and I wasn't particularly trying to sell him anything. But it was enough that he kept me coming into his inbox uh, he had hired me for something else 10 years ago. And so, you know, the time came, it worked out. But it does require a certain amount of patience and a willingness to, to sort of give away real value so that people keep coming back. That's amazing that someone's been on your email list for 10 years as well. Well, I'm sure your emails are great. I'm thinking that you must be preparing some pretty amazing newsletters to have people stay on there for 10 years. Um, because I think actually our, our freelance community also have a similar problem to the one that you're talking about before about maintaining interest in that some of us are intensely specialized in particular areas, I, I guess like a CPA, but if we're not dealing with consumers, like if we're, if we've got a B2B style business and we're intentionally, intensely specialized in something, right. the B2B type buyers who might be buying in that specialization might have no interest whatsoever in learning about how to 
do something with Ruby on Rails or JavaScript or whatever it may be. They're just not interested in learning that skill at all. And we end up with, and we, we have this problem with content marketing all the time when we're doing freelance work. How do we target it in a way that we write the content so that it's interesting to the type of person that we want to stay in touch with for 10 years, but like someone's actually going to stay on our newsletter that long versus uh, something that we can actually write about with authority. Because what tends to happen is we tend to create these processes and procedures around how to do our widget making activity uh, really, really well. And that's what we end up becoming really good at. And we've got lots of tips about that. But that's not necessarily what's going to keep someone on a newsletter for 10 years. Um, so yeah. how do you keep someone on a newsletter for 10 years? What, what kinds of things are you doing to keep someone's interest that long? Well, I have to say, I mean, every time you publish your newsletter, people unsubscribe. So <laughs> it's not like everyone stays on. But you bring up an excellent point. You have to figure, I always talk about it's like a magazine. You have to figure out, you know, first of all, What's your target audience look like? Like the tendency is to say, oh, it's for anyone because people think the broader, the better because they have a better chance. But it's actually the other way that the more you can figure out, okay, who's your target audience? So again, mine is this small professional service people. It's not the guy who owns a shoe store. The other thing is, is, is just what you said. It's figuring out like what's the level of detail. So I don't want to know how to use the software that you understand in that level of detail. That's why I hire you. But you want to talk about how it's used. Now, again, not, not click here and do this, but where it's valuable, where it's not, stuff you have to worry about or look out for or what you've learned along the way. So it's really more of a perspective on why is this thing valuable at all um, than step by step. I mean, interestingly, one of the toughest newsletter topics is for people who are professional writers. Even though they're good writers, the problem is the people who hire writers generally, for whatever reason, hate writing. It's a lot, you know, it's like a lot of the world just hates writing. They're no good at it. That's why they hire freelancers. They don't really want to learn how to be better writers. So if you're a writer, the question is, like, well, what do I write about? I can't teach them. I'm like, here's how you use a semicolon because they don't care. So it has to be more about content marketing and, and other things that sort of maybe are a little tangentially more connected to writing. In my case, with marketing, it's easy because I'm just talking about how to market yourself better. I'm focused on building relationships and staying in front of people and having a narrow focus. And so it's more, it's more sort of generically easier to come up with topics. And it depends. You know, with some of my clients – it's more obvious and with others it isn't. Um, but the other thing is stuff repeats. So, I mean, I've written, I've written like 450 newsletters because I've been doing it for 20 years. I, I've written about the same stuff over and over again. I don't, I don't publish the same newsletter. I come at it a different way, but that's okay. It's sort of like, you know, your personal trainer at the gym has told you the same thing a million times. That's part of becoming known for having a particular perspective and point of view. So nobody cares that two years ago you kind of covered the same topic. Um, but you are trying to, to develop a reputation as a person who writes about a particular kind of thing with a particular voice and style and perspective. And, you know, it, it takes a while. I'm working with a new client right now. We're on his second newsletter. He's an attorney. Um, you know, the whole thing is confusing for him because he's not clear yet on how to talk about sort of perspective as opposed to 
here's how you write a contract. But, you know, after a while, people start to get the hang of it. And then, uh, you know, it goes usually, usually goes pretty well. That um, point you were making about writers, that I find that really interesting because I see there's a lot of Seinfeld style emails going around when it comes to people that are professional writers. And for, for those who don't know what that term means, um, I, I learned about that in a few different places, but it's like making each email into an episode of Seinfeld where you're storytelling about a personal story more so than sharing information. And it's more about infotainment or even just entertainment. And then it's kind of selling something at the end. So have you got a lot of experience with writing that style of email um, as well as newsletter and how that, um, how that changes the relationship with the audience that are reading the newsletters? Yeah. In fact, um, almost every newsletter I write starts with some kind of story of something that happened to me personally. It could be, you know, something one of my kids did or, you know, something happened to me on the way to work or whatever. Um, the storytelling thing is important. In fact, anytime I give a talk to an audience, a live audience, I always open with some completely unrelated story. The benefit is it captures people's attention. Like, what, what are you talking about? Um, the interesting thing, though, is nobody cares about your story. So you have to tie it back because it's not a Seinfeld episode where I'm, I'm reading your newsletter for entertainment. So at some point, you have to tie it back to, and this is how the story relates. So again, for that same attorney that I'm working with right now, he's talking about um, how to prepare for a contract negotiation. So the story is the baseball season is about to open, and he's a baseball fan. So he's talking about how the baseball season is going to open, and if you're, going to, if you're a professional baseball player, even though you haven't played baseball, you've been preparing. You know, you're like running and eating well and like practicing throwing, and by the time you play baseball – You've done all this prep work. And then somewhere we go, and the same thing for a contract. You don't just walk into a negotiation. You should also be doing prep work. So the benefit is it's way more interesting than if I just said, here's three things to do to prepare for a contract. But it also gives you a sense of, oh, this guy likes baseball. I like baseball too. I mean, it sounds so stupid. And I used to do marketing for a Fortune 500 company where it was like entirely numbers oriented and very cut and dried. And it took me a while to realize that particularly when you're a small or solo, the whole thing turns on relationship. And so the more I talk about my kids or my dog or I couldn't dig my car out of the snow, again, you wouldn't sign up to read that. But what's so interesting is when I mix that in with the useful business stuff, that's all people want to comment on. I mean, I've literally met people like at a conference or something who I've never met who say to me something like, Hey, how's your son doing down in Memphis? Cause my son lives in Memphis. I mean, I don't even know these people, but they feel like they know me and that's really valuable because there's this sense of trust and relationship and all that. And if you left the story part out, then it's just information. And the problem is I can Google the information. So it's a weird thing. Um, and I often, with my more sort of conservative clients, have to convince them to open up a little more. You know, and I have sort of varying degrees of success. Some people don't like to share a lot, but the more they share their background, what they believe, you know, the fact that you like baseball, um, the more you connect with the audience. And so they kind of, many of them hang around because they like the stories. But the, but the thing is, 
they're getting the fact that you're an attorney who does contracts, and so when they have a need, they still will call this guy. That's a weird thing, but it's very effective. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community, and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, one of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Clabo, actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET, and there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET-focused or Microsoft-focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out, D-O-T-N-E-T, adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. Yeah, I tried that myself for a little bit, and I must say it was effective. I just, I, I became a bit weary of having to think of all these personal stories. <laughs> I think I was well, trying to do it too frequently as well um, yeah. because I'd yeah. learned something that you should be doing it every day. And I tried like doing these frequent stories and I just ran out of time because I was too busy. But I must say it definitely brought more traffic to my website when I was sharing personal stories rather than all of my kind of techie ones. But then I kind of fell right. back into the habit of writing more tech-based articles just because when I'm when I sit down to write I'm usually thinking about a problem that I'd solve that day rather than a personal story yeah I find that um you have to keep track of both so you know I've literally been driving down the highway and like pulled over to write down an idea for something because you have a quick idea and you think oh that's obvious and then 10 minutes later you're like oh, I just cannot remember it so I have on my desk here a uh, no exaggeration probably 200 sticky notes because I write them on sticky notes and stick them in this bowl of stuff that happened to me. And I don't know how I'm going to use it. Like the fact that my daughter adopted a cat or I'm um, just reading or that um, I saw a snake in the backyard. I mean, it sounds so, so stupid, but if you told me to sit down and come up with a story now, it's really hard. But I sit there and I go through when I have to write a newsletter that I do mine every two weeks. I, uh, if, I, if nothing's obvious to me, I start going through my list and I think, okay, I saw a snake in the backyard. What's that got to do with marketing? And it could be something like, well, I don't know. Snakes are famous for, you know, eating once a month. You need to be famous too. You need to have a narrow niche. I mean, that could be a whole newsletter right there. So um, once a day would be tough, but I look at it as like, if you sat down with someone and had a beer, you know, you, you're sort of telling stories all the time. Like, oh, I got a flat tire on the way over. You know, I hurt my knee yesterday. I mean, whatever it is, you're constantly exchanging stories. Um, and if you keep track of them, which is you just have to sort of form a habit of writing the stuff down, then when it's time to write, you've got this whole pile of ideas and it's easier than, uh, than it would be otherwise. That is such a great idea. I love it. So basically you've got a library of past stories so you can dip into them whenever you need. I really, really like that idea. Yeah, it works. It works well. Nothing worse than just sitting there staring at a blank screen thinking, oh, what am I going to write about? My wife thinks I'm nuts because I will have, like, I love Siri. I use Siri for everything now. I, I never used to use Siri, but I will constantly be telling her to take a note for me. Like we will mm -hmm. be talking about something completely unrelated and my wife will see that I have that look on my face like she's like you need to take a note and I'm like yeah and then I'll dictate to, to Siri real quick hey you know 
do this and take a note about this. And, and I've, I have a backlog. Um, and it, it was a similar thing. I'd come up with an idea for, uh, you know, email automation and things and, and, um, was wanting to put something in place. And I thought, what am I going to write about? So I started writing down all my ideas and I have a backlog, like this huge, you know, couple hundred item list backlog now that I can pull from any time. And really I, I had to take time every week to go through and curate it. I had so many things and I thought I wouldn't even be able to have enough ideas, right. Uh, to write regularly, but it's interesting how that works. And once you get into the habit, I, you just, it happens naturally all the time, right? I'll have to try that. I, I didn't realize you could do that. That's <laughs> like so many things Siri can do. I end up, um, I, I still have a, a landline in my office, so I'll call my office voicemail and leave a message. This way I don't have to write it down. But I, the Siri thing actually sounds a little more efficient. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I love it. And that way you can just take a note and, uh, just move on with your day. But, uh, it, I really, it's seriously so funny because I, I just feel so awesome that I have a personal assistant, but it just took me way too long to use it. Right. Right. That's good. So I've been reading a book recently. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to find a link to it and share it later. Um, when we do picks, but it was actually saying that there's been a resurgence in physical newsletters because people's email inboxes are getting so bogged down. Now I know this is the case for me. I hate it every morning. I look at my email. I just want to get through all of the client ones. I just want to make sure that I don't miss something. So I go through my email. I've always got at least a hundred emails that haven't been caught by my filters that move things into commercial email. And it yeah. takes me such a long time. And so often if I've got a subscription to someone's newsletter, I, I'll end up unsubscribing it just because I get so frustrated with the number of emails I've got. And it's not that I don't like what they have to say. It's just that I don't like checking email. So um, they were saying that there's been a resurgence in physical newsletters for that reason. People can read them during their personal time rather than during their work time. Have you yeah. had any um, experience with that? And do you have any, um, and if so, do you have any tips on how that differs from sending it via email? Yeah. It's funny how it's just changed so much over the years. I mean, when I started in 2000 working for myself, my, the biggest objection potential clients had was that not enough of their customers had email yet. <laughs> so that was like the state of the world back then. And then maybe 2006 or seven, I like, I couldn't pick up the phone fast enough. Everybody wanted a newsletter. And then in like 2010, you know, social media, whenever it started, okay, email was supposedly dead. And now it's going the other way because everybody's concerned with privacy and the fact that, you know, Facebook makes all the rules. So you're not really, you're like at their mercy. Whereas with email, nobody owns email. So you have a direct line. So emails had this real resurgence in the last couple of years. Um, I had not heard the one about print. I mean, the problem with print, obviously, is, is it changes the economics. I mean, the nice thing about email is if you want to get on my email list, I'm happy to add you. If I had to sit there and go, well, is she worth the dollar it's going to cost me or whatever to send it to you? Now it's now we're going back to pre-internet days. I mean, the nice thing about electronic is it leveled the playing field for the little guys. 
because yeah. I can write a newsletter that's better than Amazon because Amazon's got 15 people in the room and five of them are attorneys. So the fact that they're big gives them no advantage. And my email shows up in your inbox exactly like an email from Amazon or whoever it looks the same. They can't buy better placement or whatever. When it comes to physical, now I got to worry about the quality, the sending, the cost. So I'm sh I mean, I actually think snail mail can be good for a lot of reasons. I haven't seen it with email. Like I, I, do, I encourage people to write handwritten thank you notes, which again, sounds so easy, easy and obvious, but the thing is nobody gets any real mail anymore. So when you write something like that, it really stands out. And also the fact that it doesn't scale and costs a little money means it has more of an impact. Um, but that's sort of for a different thing. I don't really know of anyone who, who's gone, not to say it's not happening, but who's gone back to mass produced emails, uh, newsletters, because it's just too expensive and, and it eliminates the, uh, the level playing field that you have electronically. So I, I investigated at the post office recently how much it costs for a stamp because I haven't posted anything recently. And I, I don't know what it is in US, but over here, it's like a dollar twenty for a stamp. So I was thinking if I was going to do a physical mail out of something, then not only do I have to pay for the stamp, then I've also got to pay for all the printing and the envelopes and the time that it involves in, in doing that. It actually ends up coming to quite a bit um, you know, per person that you send a mail to. But the interesting thing about sending a physical letter to somebody is no one's sending mail anymore because email is so convenient. So instead of having a hundred things in their mailbox every day, they might have nothing. I mean, I know my daughter, she goes running to the mailbox every day to see if we've get, got anything. And she's always disappointed because... So they were talking about actually selling newsletters and it would be a little bit more packed probably than an uh, email newsletter, but it would essentially be the same kind of content. And it would be a lot of that story type content mixed with the right. informational content. Right. Although now you're in a totally different business though. Now you're in the subscription magazine business, not to say you couldn't make a go of it, but the newsletters I'm working on for myself and my clients are, they're, they're thinly disguised advertisements. I mean, we don't, we're not selling anything and we're giving away information, but the whole idea is that if you want to get it, you can get it for free and share it and all that. If I went to charge you, you know, my subscription base would, I'd lose 99% of my people. And, and again, again, I look at it as it's a promotion. It's not a, uh, it's not intended to generate any income for itself. So it just changed the whole um, machine of giveaway, useful, free information. And even then, I mean, a tiny, tiny percentage of my subscribers ever hire me, but I don't care because it's free to me to send to you, essentially. So to me, it's like the more, the better, knowing yeah, that some little bit of people will hire me. And that, again, I found that uh, even a 500 person, you know, most of my clients who are solos maybe have 500 people to start and they don't grow by much. But I mean, if you, if you had lunch with 500 people once a month that you knew, that could sustain an individual business. And this is not quite as good as lunch, but it's, it's a pretty good proxy for, for an ongoing relationship. I think you'd be booked for the next 15 years if you had lunch with 500 people every month. And to be weigh honest. a thousand pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> no, I think uh, that's, that's interesting. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I, I'm mentally going through all the different newsletters that I get. And I have a, an actual 
uh, I have a rule set up in my mailbox to put the ones that I look forward to into a separate one. And then I, I read them, but the other ones like eventually I'm sure I get unsubscribed or I unsubscribe from them if I'm intentional about it. But, and I think about them and two of them are weekly emails. Two of them are daily emails. And one is one that I pay for. And it's funny because when we were talking about this, I instantly thought of individual emails like newsletters that I had. And I know that there was one uh, email newsletter that I, that was free that became monetized and I opted out of that one. And then there was another one that I opted into because I did find the value in it. Right. But I do think that that whole uh, switch from free information, I think that you have to look at the purpose of your newsletter at that point and kind of make a determination on which one is going to suit you better. And I think that if it's the type of information that people are going to be using on an ongoing basis. So if you had a, like a JavaScript newsletter that you were showing all the latest and greatest features of particular, uh, you know, JavaScript frameworks, then people may actually pay for that so that they don't have to comb the internet or look through their alerts or that you could be providing some value there. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have like Seth Godin's newsletter, which I, I just love. And it's his blog that he just sends out every day. And sometimes it's super short and sometimes it's really long, but I love getting that newsletter every day. Uh, and, and so I just think it's interesting. And it, the other piece of that was when we were talking about the newsletter, physical newsletter, it'd be kind of like if you're coming home and uh, you know, you brought your, your significant other flowers and you're like, uh, here are some flowers. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's great. And then you were like, yeah, well, you know, there was some guy selling flowers out on the trunk of his car as I was leaving work. And so I thought, oh, they're not too expensive. So I might as well just like the minute you tell that story, right. People are like, oh, but if you go out of your way, I like a, a, a physical newsletter is like going out of your way. It's like driving to the flower shop, inconveniencing yourself paying Valentine's Day, you know, red rose prices. Uh, it, it's that kind of thing, right? It's just a different experience that you're offering. And uh, I was kind of thinking that if you did track your newsletter, you could find those really like either the people that have converted to customers or, you know, that are, have been, you know, on your newsletter for 10 years or five years or however long and actually go a, a step above and say, Hey, you know, here's, here's something uh, special that I can do for you, blah, 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 you know, just kind of take that extra effort to, to prioritize those people and show them that you're appreciative of uh, the fact that they allow you to be in their inbox. Right. 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 Have you heard of Atwood's law? He says that anything that can be built in JavaScript eventually will be built in JavaScript. And that includes mobile apps. You can build awesome mobile apps and Apple TV and other apps with React Native. Come check us out every week as we talk about some of the ins and outs of building mobile apps with JavaScript and with React on React Native Radio. You can find it at reactnativeradio.com. Yeah, the, the book that I was reading that was talking about the physical ones, he um, marketed the physical newsletter with his email. So he wasn't exempt from an email, like a free email newsletter either. Mm. I think that email right. newsletter that um, that you do is kind of the status quo. Just like you're saying, it's free and you can express yourself and you just have to press send. You don't have to worry about stamps and 
envelopes and mailers and, and all of that. And you don't have to worry about getting people's physical addresses either because unless you no. sell something to someone and they're actually a client or a customer, you don't tend to have their physical address. Uh, even when you do have a, um, a, a customer, you don't always have their physical address. Just yesterday, actually, so part of my, well, I don't, I don't know if I should be sharing this actually, but um, if it, just in case anyone here becomes a client, close your ears. <laughs> but one of my processes is my clients, once they spend a certain amount of money with me, they get a surprise box of chocolates in the mail and they love that. They, I, I always get like really excited emails from people. And um, yesterday my assistant, I was working with someone who was like an information entrepreneur and I didn't have their physical email address. I'm sorry, their physical mail address. It wasn't written on their, their blog anywhere or their website. Right. Uh, so I ended up having to say, Oh, I've got a special thing coming in the mail. I'm not telling you what it is, but what's your address? I, I didn't know what it was. And so unless you're actually working with larger businesses that put their address on their website, you might not have no idea what that is. So that could definitely be a complication. Whereas the email, like you're saying, you can you can get straight into their e-box straight in the box straight away. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with the whole address thing. Also, again, at least the way I'm doing newsletters with myself and my clients is we're deliberately gaming the system in the sense that the newsletter my you know new attorney client is writing, he's not claiming it's the best newsletter on earth on legal information, but he's gaming the system because he's sending it to people he already knows. So to me, the the thing that often gets lost is we sort of say, you know, what's your open rate or, you know, it, as if everyone on the receiving end has the same interest in you. When I send an email to my brother, it is way more likely it's going to be open than to a stranger. So that's what I'm saying. I have no interest in connecting with people I don't know. I mean, it's fine if you sign up and all that. All I'm trying to do is stay in touch with 500 people. Because, again, the whole point of the newsletter is to grow the business of the attorney or the financial planner or whatever. If they had all the clients they wanted, they wouldn't be publishing a newsletter. So by staying in front of the people they know, they're, they are sort of simulating lunch. Again, it's not as good, but it, it scales a lot better. And because everyone like that lives in a word-of-mouth world, then the the person you went to college with or the person you worked with five years ago who most people lose touch with, they end up referring business to you because they get the newsletter. Sometimes not because they even care about the topic. It's because they're just it's their way of staying in touch with you. So it, it really leads to so much. And um, the email makes the whole thing frictionless and zero at variable cost. It's just great. Again, I keep waiting for something to be better than email. I mean, 10 years ago, I was really concerned because I thought, oh, social media is going to replace it. And now I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. I mean, the ROI on email compared to social media is like 35 to 1. And I'm going to sit in your inbox until you push delete. Whereas if you just tweeted something and I didn't see it, it's gone by the time I go and look. So there's a lot of advantages. Plus, again, nobody, nobody owns it. So there's no one in between me and my recipients. I don't have to worry that LinkedIn changed their algorithm on what content they show or any of that stuff. So, yeah, I keep waiting for something, but I just haven't seen it yet. So I are you suggesting that small, 
<laughs> maybe we'll have something that we can send for our brainwaves, although maybe that wouldn't be a good idea either. <laughs> oh, no, the- that'd be worse. <laughs> uh, so are you, think, are you saying that smaller businesses should only send or should only try to seek email addresses from people they already know rather than trying to build an email subscriber list? Because we hear a lot. No. You know, email marketing, you've got to have 10,000 people, you've got to have 20,000 right. people, you've got to have 100,000 people. And that's know, really right. hard pressure for a small business. I'm saying that it's paying attention to the wrong side of the equation. So, of course, if you want to sign up for my newsletter, I mean, people sign up all the time. But um, the people that matter the most are the people you already have a connection with. And the this idea that grow your list, first of all, for most, again, small professional, five-person consulting firm, this whole grow your list thing, it, it really is a quality, not quantity thing. Um, yeah, you need 100,000 people if you're trying to sell products and webinars and stuff like that. But if you're a financial planner who's looking to add one client a month, you don't need any of that. And again, this idea that you have to just grow it and focus on the numbers, I think is sort of missing the point. It's really about, can you just stay in touch with all these people you already know? That's why, again, if I could have a, a face-to-face connection once a month with all these people, I wouldn't bother with the newsletter. I mean, it's really, it's just a marketing way. Now, I'm a little different because now I'm kind of in the information selling world. But my, most of my clients aren't. They've got, again, 500 people if they're solos. They publish once a month. They don't look at their stats or like analyze what's going on. They don't want to be doing marketing. They want to be selling financial planning, but they need clients. And so this thing that they do once a month, you know, with varying degrees of my help. And frankly, if I could, if I'd let them be removed from the process entirely, they'd say, great, (laughs) Um, stirs the pot for them of relationships. So it's a totally different world than if you're, again, target trying to worry about, you know, how many, what percentage people are clicking and and all that kind of stuff. These people live in a relationship-based one client at a time world. Again, that's just, I'm not saying the other stuff's not important, but that's my world. That's what professional service providers do. It's not a numbers game. It's a one at one at a time game. And so you don't need big numbers. What you do need though is a loyal, interested following because that's those are the people who ultimately hire you. I think that's really good. Um, do you guys want to, did you have anything else you wanted to cover or should we jump into picks? I do have one other quick question actually before we go into picks. When you prepare newsletters, on behalf of your clients or when your clients are doing it, do you recommend having it laid out in a graphical way so that it looks like a newsletter or do you prefer to have it as mainly focused on the text? Um, I mean, I think there's good arguments on like both sides of this and that too, the pendulum has swung back and forth over the years. You know, text looks more personal. It gets through spam filters better and all that. I've always leaned more towards the graphical. For one thing, it it just has more of a branded feel. It doesn't feel like I just um, woke up yesterday and decided to write a few words. I think it feels a little, has a little more heft to it. Um, But again, the downside is that it also feels a little more commercial. So I think you could go either way. And I know some people have gone back and forth, but um, I'm kind of a, a little more towards the graphical, but um, it is a good argument for the other one too, I think. 
Same with the question of should people click to read the newsletter or should the whole newsletter be contained in the email? I mean, again, the plus and minuses. I've always been of the belief that every click you, you require of me reduces the number of people that are going to click, even as easy as a click is. So the newsletters I do with clients, 100% of it's in the email. I mean, there might be links out, but you can read the whole thing without clicking. Because you're focusing on a relationship more so than clicks to your website. Well, there again, it's funny because people say, well, I want them to come to my website, you know, Mr. Financial Planner. And I'll say, why? There's nothing for sale on the website. It's just this sort of like, oh, they're supposed to go to the website. I'm like, well, what you really want first is that they read the thing. And hey, if they want to get a hold of you, they can do it. Again, if your target, you need people to click over and buy, but they're in a different world. The funny thing is I find with small, completely non-marketing oriented people, accountants and doctors and stuff. So these are people who are really good at a particular profession, but they don't know anything about marketing. So, and what's amazing is many of them, my clients are brilliant, like 50 times smarter than I am, but they find marketing really confusing, which I always find kind of funny. Like here, they're like, you know, neurosurgeons, but marketing is confusing. But what happens is they, they copy stuff they see people doing. They see Target doing something. They think, oh, I'm supposed to do that, or Amazon's doing it, or you know, they worry about their tagline because Nike has a tagline. None of that stuff matters when you're in a one-by-one, word-of-mouth world. So there, I, I spend some fair amount of time sort of talking people off of that stuff and really sp- talking about, look, you just want to find a way to look like a likable expert, and you need a way to stay in front of people over and over again. So you take timing out of the equation because, you know, I don't need a financial planner today, but maybe I do in six months and you want to be at the front of the line. So it, it works really well. But it's again, it's so much of it is counterintuitive from what people expect going in. That makes complete sense. I, I know it's it's so confusing going through all the different information out there, because these days a lot of consultants have back end digital products. And so they're actually a product business but they're masquerading as a consultant. And then if they're saying consultants have to do X, Y, Z, and as a consultant, you're reading that and going, oh, I have to do X, Y, Z. You don't necessarily know that that person is selling an information business. And so they're actually a product seller and they're not a services seller. And there's been so many times when I've tried to filter information through a lens of, is this person selling services or is this person selling products? And I've ultimately came to the conclusion that they were selling products and therefore the information they were trying to convince me on wasn't applicable to my situation if I was selling services because there's only so many people you can let into your world where you're doing something for them because unless you're planning to scale up your business with hiring new employees, you just don't have enough time in the day. And when you do scale up the business with employees, you have to train those employees to do it the way that you want. And that isn't easy. (laughs) Trying to deal with employees or freelancers of any type is much, much harder than it seems that it should be. So, you know, a lot of people have to limit the number of clients they have rather than maximize the number of clients. And it's definitely a different way of thinking. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. I think uh, people get caught up in the even just the idea that you're supposed to grow, which I kind of assumed when I started too. And until I realized I like, I don't have any employee people I form stuff out to, but I don't have any employees and there's, there's a real efficiency to not having to talk to anyone else (laughs) to get anything done. 
I mean, you spend so much time on that. And again, some people like that. I really like working alone. Other than, you know, some of the tech pieces or design pieces that I farm out. But um, I agree, like, you have to know what business you're in or you can just get distracted. I think also, even on the sort of the Seth Godin thing, Brad, you were saying, like, I love Seth Godin, but he's not an example. Like, he's LeBron James. It's sort of like if LeBron James sat there and said, let me explain to you how to play basketball. I could watch him all day long, and I'm not LeBron James. And Seth Godin's the same thing. Like, people look at him and think, I'm going to get 500,000 people on my list. And the number of people who can be at that level is really small. And I think a lot of people get caught up believing they're going to sell products and stuff like that. There, the numbers have to be really big. And it's, it's a totally different business than, than one-on-one services. So this, you really got to know how you're going to make it work, I think. And it's so, it's so um, alluring to think, well, look, if I get 5,000 people to pay me $10 a month, that's fifty thousand dollars. How hard could that be? <laughs> but it's really hard, even though you know the dollar amounts are small. I've actually got a funny story about Seth Godin. Seventeen years ago or so, I sent him. I was reading his blog. He's been doing it for a while, and I sent him a, a story about something in my day because he was sharing all these stories. So he ended up printing my story in his blog, and I just had this tiny little blog. It was it was like a personal blog that didn't have much to it I got so much traffic in one day from right, Seth Godin linking to my website That's I was great. like holy moly there was this spike <laughs> but nothing ever came of it because I wasn't selling anything really back then um but <laughs> it, it's interesting he's got a huge readership absolutely a huge yep. readership yeah and that's probably a good segue actually into pics so is everyone Ready to do picks now? Ready. So what's your pick today, Brad? All right. So I have a couple of things. We talked a lot about just intentional growth. And I thought that was like really refreshing um, because I, I think that that's something that's kind of dawned on me slowly. And with an email list, it's easy, as we talked about, to get caught up in vanity metrics and just getting people to the website. And you just start with why you're doing the thing that you're doing and then you know, try to get better at that, right? Um, so I'm going to post, uh, I'm, I'm going to pick a thousand true fans. Um, that's a great, it's a fantastic book um, by, um, uh, I can't remember who it's by, Shango Longhurst, I think. Uh, but it's this idea that with a thousand true fans, you'll actually, that's basically all the support. If you had a thousand people willing to pay you, 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 you know, smaller amounts of money than you think you could probably make a pretty decent go at things. So there's that book, um, that I'm going to post. I'm also, uh, I was struck. I had so many thoughts in my head about my own inbox and, uh, anxiety about my inbox and just how horrible, like I am at managing that sometimes and how it gets overwhelming. And so I'm actually going to post a link to a couple tools that I've used before to get to inbox zero. And, uh, they are, pretty cool. One is unroll.me, uh, unroll me, uh, which we're talking about email newsletter readership. So it's kind of like the opposite way, but it will help you understand what's happening in your inbox and then quickly unsubscribe to things that are junking it up. And, uh, you know, and the, I, I 
think that's highly appropriate though, because you should be subscribing to newsletters that are bringing you value. And if they're not anymore, then you're going to save them time and money and you're going to save yourself some time and headache. Um, so there's that one. And then there's also Maelstrom, which I've used before to get to inbox zero. And I, I highly recommend either of those. So just a couple of email management tools and then a book that'll kind of help you think about finding your core audience and, and just, you know, being intentional about growth. Those are great. I'm going to check those out. That's a lot of stuff this week, Brad. Thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, um, do you have something today, Michael? Yeah, I actually have a, um, I have a page on my website where I've got maybe 20 uh, services of different kinds that I rely on just because as a solo, you have to be pretty efficient. Um, you know, some of the obvious ones like Dropbox and LastPass, but also things that um, I found are really helpful, whether it's private internet access, which is the thing I use if you're if it ever happens again, where I'm in like a Starbucks and you want to have secure internet or uh, how to take a screenshot of your screen or uh, I'm a big fan of something these days called Meet Edgar, which is a way to distribute your content to social media. But anyway, it's all there on my site at michaelkatz.com slash resources for people who are interested. That sounds like a, a lot of good resources. Thanks for that. I actually checked out your blog before and I thought you had some some interesting things on there. So uh, that's, that's great that people can get those resources. Uh, now I have, I've got a couple of picks. There was one I thought of while we were speaking. I'll um, just share that link now, but that one was about the physical newsletters. To be honest, it hadn't even occurred to me to think of physical newsletters until I read this book and it was saying that um, he, he used email marketing for his like day-to-day -day stuff. And then he would send people onto a physical newsletter which people enjoyed reading like a magazine subscription. And then people ascended from the physical newsletter into his services. And so he sells his services at a premium because he's making money from the sale of his newsletter. And then he reserves the sale of his services to a higher premium buyers. I'm not sure that I like all of this book, but um, certainly I found that to be really interesting. So this book was called How to Make Maximum Money with Minimum Customers, 21 Proven Direct Marketing Strategies that Anyone Can Use. And it's by Craig Garber. I read a lot of books, so um, I'm, always, I'm always reading. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to pick this week, the one that I was originally going to pick, is a plugin called File Manager. And it's a WordPress plugin. And the reason that I'm picking this one is uh, a few episodes ago, I complained that if you're going to go to my blog, expect to see the images load really slowly. I was a bit embarrassed about it actually, because my images had just been crawling. Whenever I looked at my own blog, um, my own blog, I could see the images just rendering down the page. I need to do something about this. So I spoke to my uh, freelance developer and I said can you please fix this and he went and installed this plugin and now whenever I go to my blog it's just zippy I, I think basically what it's done is it's cached all of the images at certain sizes and even though I'd tried to shrink all the images down to 150 kilobytes or smaller it, it hadn't made a huge difference but installing this plugin made a huge difference and now just loads everything immediately so I strongly recommend that plugin it's it's great 
Cool. Well, I think we've covered everything. I think that was a fantastic conversation today. So thank you so much for, for coming, Michael. Thanks for having me. I didn't even have to leave my office. <laughs> oh, good. I think we're all like that at this moment, especially with COVID. And where, if someone wants to get in touch with you, Michael, what's the best place for someone to uh, uh, to go to stay in touch? Just michaelkatz.com and Katz is K-A-T-Z. No, that's, a, that's a good point, actually, because when we're hearing you, we don't always know how to spell your name. So right. K-A-T-Z. Oh, Z. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Australia. We speak British English over here. Uh, no, that, that's fantastic. So we'll um, make sure that we include your website in the show notes as well. Great. Terrific. Well, great having Thanks you on. And, and yeah, have a, have a wonderful day. All right. Stay well, everyone. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you. All right. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.